The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Well, good morning, Fathom Church. Uh, Thanks, all of you, for logging in this morning. It is great to be with you. My name is John Holm. I'm one of the uh, elder candidates here at the church, and it is my privilege today to be uh, bringing God's Word to us in our time of study together. I was thinking back uh, last year, the end of the year, when uh, Chris had asked me to consider being an elder, and I had asked him to send me a job description. And so he had sent that over, and I looked that over, and I'd been praying, you know, really seeking God and what he wanted me to do, and decided that God was leading me to become an elder at the church. So uh, in the process of that, being an elder candidate right now. And I was thinking about that this past week. And I was thinking back through the job description. And for the life of me, I cannot remember seeing anything in there about leading the church through a global pandemic. Nothing in there about that. Must have been in the fine print. Now, the reality is none of us expected to be going through this right now. And this has affected us all to some degree or another. And the amazing thing is it's a global thing. People around the world are feeling it. And so all of us are in this situation of wrestling through how do we manage this? How do we go through this in a healthy way? And I know for some of you, it has hit you really hard. We've talked to some people that it's just like they're in the middle of the worst of it and having to deal with that. On the other hand, there are some of you that it's disrupted your lives a little bit. But for you, it's like not that big a deal. In fact, some of my introvert friends have said, you know, this is great. Social distancing, loving it right now. But I think for most of us, we're somewhere in the middle of that spectrum. We're feeling the effects of it, and it it is hitting our lives, and we're having to wrestle through that. I know for Ruth and I, I mean, for her, uh, her business is shut down. She's out of work right now. For me as a realtor, it's uh, even though we are essential, we've been limited on what we can do, and some of my clients have lost their jobs. And the ripple effect is happening where what's affecting them is affecting me. What I do know is that all of us, to some degree, are feeling more pressure, more stress, more anxiety, having to deal with change, and those things are bubbling up inside us. I know for me that's true. I'm feeling it. And generally, where that comes out is in our relationships, in more stress, more pressure, more conflict in our relationships. Now, we know that Conflict in relation, it's just part of life. It's there anyway. You put two people in a room and there's going to be some conflict at some point, sometime. So it's part of life. But then you add in all this added pressure and stress and it just elevates that conflict. It's like taking a soda bottle. Normally you grab this two liter soda bottle off the shelf and you open it up and there's a little bit of pressure there, but it's manageable. You take that same bottle and you shake it up You put more stress and pressure in that thing, and you open it up, and all of a sudden, it's spewing all over, making a mess. It's hard to control. And so that's what I know I'm feeling to some degree, and I know all of us are feeling that. So the question today is, how do we manage that well? How do we manage our relationships well and the conflict in those relationships well? 
I love the fact that Scripture addresses all these things. And I know I've needed to hear this Scripture this week. It's been a challenge and encouragement to me to think through how do I handle this stress which relates into more conflict and relationships? How do I handle that well? And so Paul is going to guide us in that this morning. So let's jump right in here. If you want to grab your Bibles, we uh, are working slowly through the book, book of 1 Corinthians. And uh, so we're finally made it to, we have finally made it to chapter six. So in chapter six, starting with verse one, Paul says this, when one of you has a grievance against one another, against another, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? So right now, right in this verse, Paul states what the problem is. And if you've been with us through this series, you know that Paul is writing to the church to address certain issues certain problems that the church had. And he's saying, in fact, I, I read some of the authors this week who said, it's, it's like Christianity 101. It's like how to do Christianity. Uh, one of the authors said it was like Christianity for dummies. And so Paul's addressing these issues, and right away he states what the next thing he wants to talk about. And he said, this church, you guys are not handling your conflict well. In fact, you're, you're suing each other to deal with this, to resolve this. And did you pick up the tone of Paul's voice here? He says, does he dare go to the law? In fact, in the Greek, dare is at the beginning of the sentence. Dare any one of you do this? And so Paul is really intense. This is a serious matter for him. And at first take, when we look at this verse, we're going, Paul, what's the big deal? Why are you so upset about this? Well, for us to understand this, we need to understand deeper what's going on. And so let's talk about a little bit of background. First, uh, understanding what the issue was, and then some background as far as the court system. So first of all, he talks about it's a grievance against one another. And so when the original readers would have heard that, they knew that uh, that was an idiom used for civil litigation. So it was a civil issue, not a criminal issue. In fact, later on in verse 3, he talks about matters pertaining to life. So it's issues of everyday life and working through the issues of everyday life. And so they were getting tangled up in the everyday issues and not being able to resolve those in a good, a good, healthy, a godly way. And so this was not a criminal matter. Some people have taken this uh, passage from Paul and said, well, then Christians, uh, they should not go to court. They, in fact, and some are saying they're above the law in this. Well, if we look at the whole of Scripture, we know in Romans, Paul addresses the whole thing of criminal matters and legal matters. And we're not going to talk about that today, but we got to know this is not a criminal legal issue um, that Paul's addressing here, but it's everyday life, everyday life issues. And so, first of all, we got to understand that. Then he goes on to talk about the nature of the courts and what's the background there. Some of the uh, authors in describing it have said this. People in the ancient world contended for honor in the law courts, and one gained honor by beating a rival down. The pursuit of litigation often had little to do with the pursuit of justice. 
Lawsuits were typically, typically initiated not merely to resolve legitimate social grievances, but also to further the social status of the litigants. And this progress was made only at the expense of one's opponent. The legal skirmishes usually became pitched assaults on the defendant's character. So can you imagine the effect this was having on the church? People were using their disagreements to take each other to court in order not just to resolve the issue. In fact, the issue became an excuse in order to bolster their own uh, appearance, their own popularity with each other. It became about status and one getting more status by being able to destroy the other person. And they were doing this in the church. So can you imagine if I were in conflict with somebody in the church and I took you to court, but I had to build my case against you. I got people in the church that were on my side and you would get people in the church on your side. And we would go to battle in court trying to destroy each other in order to to bolster our own uh, significance in the church. And that was destroying the church. Do you remember the first issue Paul deals with in the first chapter? He says this, let there be no divisions among you. So can you see why this was such a serious issue for Paul? Paul wanted them to come together in unity. That was their calling to come together And yet they were using their disagreements really to destroy their relationship, to tear the the fellowship apart. And so Paul addresses this and says, listen, dare you do this? He confronts them, but he also wants to give them some guidance on how to do this well, how to handle their conflict well. So let's jump in here because Paul's going to give us three things, three keys to handling conflict well. And the first thing we find in verses 1 through 6, so let's read on here, starting back again at verse 1. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. The first key, Paul says, is when you get into conflict with somebody else, Seek godly counsel, not the worldly counsel. So the question to us is, who do we listen to? What voices are we listening to? What counsel are we seeking when we're in conflict with uh, somebody else? What guides us through that so that we come out honoring God? To do that, we have to seek godly counsel. And he gives us this comparison. With worldly wisdom, it's the unrighteous. And there's a moral judgment there. They they are immoral people. They don't hold to God's morals, God's standards. So worldly wisdom is the unrighteous. In verse 4, he says, those with no standing in the church. You're going before those worldly wisdom people who have no uh, 
understanding of the church, its values, its theology, its beliefs, its priorities. It's those outside the church, and you're seeking that kind of counsel, that worldly wisdom. He also says in verse 6, unbelievers. And if you remember back in chapter 1 when we looked at that, Paul says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, to those who don't believe, to the unbelievers. And so at the core of our faith, the message of the cross, Paul is saying you're going to those people who believe that what you believe is foolishness and you're getting counsel from them. That's worldly wisdom. On the other hand, he says, listen, you should be going to and seeking godly counsel. You should be going to the saints, those transformed by the cross and the power of the spirit, those who understood the wisdom of the cross and our calling, those who are a part of the kingdom of God. So instead of pursuing godly counsel, they were pursuing worldly counsel. And that was destroying their community as a result. So what about you and I? Are we seeking worldly counsel when it comes to dealing with our conflict and how to do that? What about this? Do we seek the wisdom of self? Now, I think right away, the whole thing of uh, that picture of somebody trying to make a decision and there's, there's an angel on one side and a demon on the other side, and they're both speaking into one ear or the other, trying to pull them one way or the other, either to good or to evil. And that's what I see the battle going on here. And when I think of the wisdom of self, I know when I get in a conflict right away, my old nature wants to rise up and take control. It wants me to listen to him, to do what self wants to do, to do what is dishonoring to God, but doing what I want to do. So do we listen to the wisdom of self? Or what about the wisdom of the world? Unsafe family or friends? Secular books or articles, you know, the internet is filled with information. Is it worldly or is it godly? Now, hear me well, there is a lot of good information, secular information out there regarding conflict and how to deal with conflict. Here's the problem, though. It does not include the full counsel of God. It is lacking. It only goes so far. In fact, most of it over here, if you really look at it, really leads to self and self-fulfillment. That's the perspective. In your conflict, is really about you. Whereas on the other hand, if we seek the full counsel of God, if we seek wisdom from God, over here we see that it includes God's purposes. It includes God's values. It includes God's morals. It includes what God wants us to do and what honors him where a secular leaves God totally out of the, the picture and out of the perspective in that. But so many times what we do is we, when we're in conflict, we listen to these voices over here instead of seeking godly counsel. So how do we do that? Paul says we need to go to the saints. He talks about the church. He talks about other believers in our lives who are wise, who can guide us and give us that kind of counsel. So the question is, do we have godly leadership, godly wisdom, godly people who can guide us through the difficult struggles of our life? When we get into conflict, are there people who can guide us through that? Now, Paul, as he goes through this in his argument, 
He talked, in fact, he chides them and he says, is there nobody among you who is wise enough to help you settle this? And in his argument, he says there should be. He, he makes the implication because he makes his argument from, from the greater to the lesser. He says, you're going to be judging angels. You're going to be judging the world. And he points to the future when we're going to be ruling with Christ someday. And he says, if you're going to be doing that, you're going to be dealing with things at that level. Shouldn't you be able to deal with just the mundane decisions of life and your conflict in that? The assumption is, yes, we should be able to. It'd be like if you and I uh, live next to a Supreme Court judge. And when we talk to them, they tell us about these different cases, and you're just like, wow, this is amazing. You're, you're dealing with the most complex issues of the law. And you do that on a regular basis. And then all of a sudden, this judge starts telling you about a conflict that he has with his wife and how they got in this huge disagreement over this issue, and, and it's just creating a rift in their relationship. And then he says to you, yeah, it's just we cannot come to an agreement on which way the toilet paper should be put on the holder. Should the paper go over or under? And you go, are you kidding me? Here you're dealing with these complex issues that affect our whole society. You're making decisions. You have the wisdom to do that. And yet on the mundane issue, you can't figure this out. It makes no sense. And so Paul not only tells us to seek that counsel in our conflict, but also to grow in that so that we can help others. And he's not just talking about leaders here. He's talking about the whole church, the saints. It's all inclusive. We all should be doing that. All should be growing in our wisdom. And actually, per James, our conflict actually is an opportunity for us to grow, to learn, to go deeper, as James says, Count it all joy when you face these trials. Why? Ultimately, it's because you will be complete and mature, not lacking anything. So we have an opportunity in this to grow. But Paul says, first of all, seek godly counsel in your conflict. The second thing he takes he tells us is be humble. So now he's going to talk about our attitude in the midst of conflict. Verse 7 and 8. To have lawsuits at all with another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. What caught your attention as I read those verses? I know for me, my mind immediately went to the middle two phrases. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Are you kidding me, Paul? You want me to back down in a conflict? You want me to let them get the advantage in this? No way, I'm not going to do that. And we take the mindset, remember the cultural mindset back then. It was about them and their status and gaining more of that through conflict, through winning through taking the other person down in order to elevate themselves. And now all of a sudden, Paul's telling them, suffer wrong, be defrauded. No way, Paul. See, really, many times in our conflict, what it comes down to is it's about us. It's about our pride. It's about our significance. And we need to win in order to keep bolstering that. 
when my kids were young, one day Ruth came to me. I had some interaction with the girls, and Ruth came to me, and she said, you know what? I think you're being way too harsh on the girls. And, of course, my immediate reaction being the uh, godly guy I am, it's like, thank you, Ruth. I really needed to hear that. Thanks for your input into my life. And No, the reality was I reacted in anger and defensiveness. No way, Ruth. I'm not that way. Are you kidding me? In fact, I can go get all these cards. Every year, you guys give me cards that say, awesome dad, greatest father ever. And I can bring those cards and show those to you. I'm the best dad ever. You know, my reaction wasn't good. I reacted in pride and defensiveness in that. And really what it took for me is stepping back from that situation and allowing the good voice over here, God's spirit, to convict me of that, to convict me of my pride in that, convict me of my defensiveness. And I had to humble myself and say, you know what? Maybe she's right. Maybe I am being too harsh. Maybe I'm missing something here. And so I remember going to Ruth and apologizing to her and asking her more, getting into this dialogue about what do you mean by that? What do you see? And the reality is, folks, I didn't even know I was doing it. But initially, something that was good and good on her part, the intent on that, I took and I turned into a conflict because of my reaction, because of my pride. And that's what Paul is getting to here. Be humble. He's getting to the heart of the issue. He wants to confront them on their reaction, their worldly reaction from worldly wisdom. Is It's all about you. It's about self. It's about pride. It's about bolstering yourself up and pushing the other person down, destroying the other person in order to maintain that. Paul gets to the heart of the matter in their conflict, and that was pride. My daughter Natalie and I love this uh, uh, movie, Doctor Strange, another one of the superhero movies. And uh, it's the movie about this doctor, incredible doctor, incredibly gifted, incredibly talented. And, and, and his, his hands were his gift, and, and he was able to do these precision uh, surgeries that nobody else can do. And he knew it, and he let everybody else know that. In fact, he... He, he, he uh, was just mean to the other doctors around them, just showing how great he was, how bad they were. They just did not uh, match his standard, his level of performance. And at some point in the movie, there's this tragic accident where his hands are crushed and they're destroyed. And, and he has surgery, and yet they can never totally restore his hands. And they just shook, and he was not able to do surgery anymore. And his pride and his arrogance turned into anger about not being able to be who he was. He had lost this over here, and life was all about finding that. Once again, his self-focusedness turned, turned into anger and bitterness. And so when Western uh, medicine fails him, he goes to uh, this alternative methods and becomes part of this group. And, and initially, he's in this incredibly conflict with the leader there. Initially, she doesn't want him as part of this. She sees him for who he is, but he persists, so she takes him in. And we see as the movie progresses, she tries to work with him over and over and over again. 
And at the end, of course, when the villain comes in and he wants to destroy the world and they're in this epic battle, um, she is mortally wounded. And so as she's dying, he's trying to save her, trying to do his thing, being a doctor, and he's unable to do that. And in their conversation at the end, she's saying, or he's saying to her, I I don't know if I can do this. Now all of a sudden I'm responsible to help save the world. And she turns to him and says, you've missed the most important thing. It's not about you. It never has been. Folks, and that's true for us. See, pride will just destroy relationships. It's not about us. It is according to worldly wisdom, but not according to God's standards. So when you're in conflict, let me ask you this. Do you have to be right? Do you have to get your way? Is it about me? Is it about you? Or is it about us? See, the earlier we can come to the attitude Uh, the humble attitude in conflict, the better chance there is for a quick and a better resolution in that. The better chance there is for both of us to learn and grow, for us to go deeper in our love for God and the other person. So what is your approach to conflict? Humility or pride? See, being humble gives us the ability to step back and say, I don't know everything. I don't understand everything. I don't see everything. I don't have all the answers or truth. I have blind spots. I have areas of growth. And the quicker that we can come to a humble attitude when it comes to our conflict with others, the faster our conflict can be turned into a conversation where there is mutual listening and hearing and understanding, and it actually deepens and strengthens our relationships and doesn't tear them apart. So Paul says, seek godly wisdom, be humble. And finally, he's going to tell us this. In our conflict, we have to remember who and whose we are. Let's look at the last verses here of this section, verses 9 through 11. He says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit. I love how Paul ends this section here. He's going to give them a contrast, but, but, but the contrast of who they were and who they are now. And he wants to say to them, remember, remember, you've forgotten who and whose you are. And you need to remember this. And he paints this picture. And you've probably seen a, a picture of somebody who, who is uh, addicted to heroin And a lot of times they'll show a picture before, and then if somebody has has recovered from that, the after picture, and the before picture of somebody whose life has been decimated. I mean, you see they're they're just gaunt. There's no life in them. Many times it's it's dirty. They're living in poverty. Their life is being destroyed, and that's the picture over here. On the other hand, you see them after they've recovered, and all of a sudden they're a productive member of society, 
that there's life and vitality in them. They're cleaned up. And you're just like, wow, is this the same person? I, I can't believe the change in this person. And it would be like if, if, if this person, you hear this person over here, all of a sudden starts to, to fade back, starts to go back to this way of life. And you're, whoa, whoa, wait, stop. Remember, remember who you are, what you were like over here, what life was like. You need to be this person and not go back to that. And so Paul paints this picture for them to remember what they used to be, but what they are now. And he gives us a description of, of, of them, the life of sin and what they were over here. But then look at the picture of what they, what they are now. He says this, you were washed, cleansed of your sin. You, you, your sin used to be uh, like scarlet, but now it's white as snow. And they would have the picture of baptism, being buried with Christ, the old nature, the old man, our sin buried with Christ and being raised to walk in newness of life, being a new creation in Christ. He gives them that image of how their lives have been changed. They've been washed. They've been sanctified. One of the authors put it this way, sanctified is they were claimed by God. They were joined to a holy people. They were set apart for godly living. Claimed by God. They are now in the family of God. They are set apart by God for holy living, for his purposes. They were sanctified. And the last picture, he says, they were justified. And this was their legal standing with God. That because of Christ's payment for our sin on the cross, God looks at them now and says, you are forgiven. Your sins have been paid for. You legally now are, are right before God. And so he gives this holistic pictures of, picture of who they are now. This is who you are. God has brought us into his family, and now we are to live like his children. We are to fill, fulfill his purposes, to honor him in all that we do. We need to constantly be reminded of that. Because remembering who and whose we are affects how we live. So let me ask you this. If you're in the middle of a conflict with someone right now, ask yourself this. What are God's plans and purpose for you in that conflict? How would your heavenly father expect you to respond now in that conflict? See, the reality is we can't control what the other person will do, but we can decide what we're going to do. We can decide that we're going to pursue godly wisdom. We're going to approach it with an attitude of humility. And then also, we're going to remember who we are, what we are called to be, and be motivated by that in the midst of conflict to handle it in a God-honoring way. So how are you regularly reminding yourself of who and whose you are? Let me give you three things that are helpful for me that really help me remember. First thing is communion each week. And we're going to do that here in a little bit. But for me, that is a significant time for me where I remember what Christ did for me, that his body was broken, his blood was shed to pay for the penalty of my sin. And as a result, I, I, 
I have come into the family of God. And it says in the passage on communion, it says, examine yourself. It's a time to examine us, for us to remember who we are. Are we living according to who we are now? So communion's great for me. Another thing is regular times in the word and prayer. I mean, I've got to each day listen to godly wisdom, to know what God wants me to do. That reminds me who and whose I am. And then finally, I need the saints around me to remind me of that on a regular basis. It's in our interactions with one another that I am encouraged, I am challenged, I am built up, and you collectively and my relationships with each other, you guys remind me who and whose I am. You encourage me to continue to seek God's plans, God's purposes, to honor him in all that I do. And I need you in my life on a regular basis to remind me of that. So today, as we've looked at this passage, I want to end with some bad news and some good news. The bad news is this. You're going to have conflict in your relationships. And now with what's going on, the reality is a lot of that becomes more and more difficult because of the stress and the pressure we're under. You're going to have conflict. Bad news. Good news is this. God has given us everything we need to actually thrive in the midst of our conflict, to grow in the midst of our conflict, to become wiser in the midst of our conflict. He has given us what we need. We need to seek godly wisdom, godly counsel. We need to be humble, and we need to remember who and whose we are. And my prayer this week for us, church, is that we would take and apply maybe just one of those things as we're feeling that conflict with somebody that God will prompt our hearts and our minds to engage that, to be that, to remember who we are, to be humble, to to seek godly wisdom. And God will use that to help us do well this week. So let me pray for us. And I want to pray a prayer that I saw Tim Keller posted this week, a huge encouragement, especially related to what's going on. So pray with me. Thank you, Lord, for the confidence your resurrection gives me that in the end, all wrongs will be made right. Thank you for allowing me to rest in the assurance of my future resurrection and of living with you forever. Knowing this heals all wounds. Amen.